Welcome to CGIP Confidential, a podcast about life in CGIP and what makes this transition time so special and the students so unique. Sit back and enjoy listening to what's on the minds of CGIP students. Hello listeners, this is another episode of CGIP Confidential. We are the host for this episode, and my name is Mingyi. So, hi everyone. I'm the second host of this episode. My name is Mamuda, and first of all, I want to thank all of our listeners for listening. Today, we are going to expand our personal opinion on recent environment issues, and our and our guest, our special guest today, is Shirley Bernia. Will also provide us with a deep analysis of t- problems and some professional um, knowledge. By the end of the episode, we hope we can plan for the environmental changes and contribute to a better future. So the environmental issues have been a hot topic. Yeah, you know what? My chemistry teacher recently did an experiment to convert vegetable oil into biodiesel oil, which will make more cleaner energy. Overall, the environment is actually getting like worse and worse day by day. Think about it. If the roof of your house leaked, what would you do? Well, like for me, the roof must be repaired. Otherwise, the gap would get bigger and bigger. Of course. Well, it's the same thing for environment. Just like if you don't fix the deteriorating environment now, the problem of the environment will get bigger and bigger and finally cause irreversible consequences. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, just like the acid rain, which was very common in the nineteen eighties, because like there were so many factories at that time, and the discharge of the industrial wastewater increased properly, uh, proportionally. At that time, there are many dead lakes in North America because of the pH of the water is too low. Exactly, but now that there are fewer factories and less wasted water, the frequency of acid rain naturally decreases. Yeah, but it has to be said that.、Uh, This has indeed resulted in many irreversible results, of course. But、uh, acid rain is still re- relatively easy to deal with.、Uh, but the recent environmental problem is not easy to deal with, are they? Um. Do you mean global warming? Isn't environmental warming、uh, warming as a simple as saving or replacing energy that pollutes the environment and reducing greenhouse gas emissions? Well, in theory, it does, but the question is how to save or replace the energy, because the energy, like oil, is too difficult to replace. Think about it. If we use electricity instead of oil and to start a car, then the chemical pollution of the battery to the environment and the source of the electricity itself, that is burning the coal, of course, is less polluting to the environment than the oil. Is it?、Hmm. And、uh, you know the plane uses the diesel oil, which pollutes like the most serious. But you can say that, okay. So in order to protect the environment and、uh, we don't take planes anymore, then how do people travel between the continents? The boat rides takes too long to leave 
the United States on Thanksgiving and arrive in Japan in Christmas, right? Hmm, that's true. But we can't ignore the problem, can we? You see, the Conger Ice Shelf in Antarctica recently collapsed an area the size of the city of Rome. The collapse of ice shelves of this scale have proved that the fact the environment has been deteriorating、um, to a very serious stage. If we no longer control this process, which ice shelf will collapse next? If the sea level rises, the coastal cities are the first to be submerged, and the coastal cities are generally the most developed cities in various countries because of the waterway. If these cities sink to the bottom of the sea, then this will have a great impact on the world, right?、Um, well, yeah,、uh, what you said makes sense, but I also think I'm telling the truth also. So why don't we ask our friend Shirley? She's an expert in this area, I guess. Sure, of course. So let's connect with Shirley. I'm sure that she would give us a good answer that satisfies both of us. So joining with us today is Shirley Bernia, a 17-year-old Cégep student and a member of Pour le Futur Montréal. So welcome. Hi, Shirley. Hi Mahamuda. Hi Mingyi. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Hello. So,、um, Shirley, can you tell us a little bit about your organization? Yeah, of course. So, as you mentioned, I'm part of Pour le Futur Montréal. So,、uh, this is a local group of high school and Cégep students、uh, who are mobilizing for climate justice. So, we're part of the Global Fridays for Future movement, which means we have been organizing school strikes every Friday. Wow, this is impressive! How long has this been going for? So, Pour le Futur Montréal started in 2019,、um, but the climate strikes got interrupted by the pandemic, like a lot of things.、Um, but we started up again in November 20,、uh, 2021,、um, and since then we've had 18 climate strikes. And、um, this Friday is going to be the 12th strike in a row. That's cool. So Shirley, could you tell me like when did you get involved with Bokla Future and like what is your mo- motivation? Like what is your motive to join this stuff? Like, yeah. So you probably remember、uh, the historic climate march in September twenty nineteen.、Um, so I think that was a turning point for a lot of people, myself included. It's really what first introduced me to the idea of a school strike for climate. I was part of the group of students who convinced my school to close so that we could all participate in the protest, and that was really an amazing experience. Because to be able to organize something like that at my school, to be in such a huge crowd of people who are all there for the same reason, and to be so- part of really such a powerful global movement was just incredible. And after that, I started going to the weekly climate strikes that were happening in Montreal. And then around January 2020, I got involved with organizing the protests too,、uh, and not just attending them. But really, it was that big climate march in 2019 that that was the start of it for me. I see. So you said that the climate march was a turning point for you. Could you tell us how? How was it different from what you had been doing up until to- today? I've definitely always been really interested in the environment and really preoccupied. By、uh, climate change and biodiversity loss and just the destruction of the environment、um, for a long time. When I was a kid, I really loved being outside in nature, and so when I learned about all the environmental problems that we're facing, 
I really wanted to do something about it. So the first thing I did was to get involved with my school's green team or environmental club. Um, and I also convinced my family to make different kinds of changes to our lifestyle. Like for example, uh, we got an electric car instead of a gas powered car. Um, and when I was in high school, I was really involved in all sorts of green initiatives at my school, but all of these things never seemed like they were making a really big difference. Um, and on one hand, I was doing these small actions at my school, but on the other hand, I was learning about all these environmental issues that were so much bigger than that. So I felt like I wasn't doing enough. Um, so when the climate strike happened, it was really like a revelation for me because I felt so much more empowered than I had been taking action at my school or at home. Um, and right from there, I knew that the way to go for me was through activism and less through personal action. Um, I think that collective action is so much more powerful. Yeah, that is so impressive. But surely, actually missing school every Friday is a really big sacrifice that you have decided to make, uh, like only for this climate strikes. So why do you think that this is so necessary that it's like even higher than your study? Yeah, well, the idea behind having a strike from school is that a protest can, you know, make our voice heard um, but a strike puts more pressure and more attention to us. Um, and what we're trying to do is really get as much attention as possible and make as much noise as possible to make our message heard. Because governments on the whole world and in Canada as well are so, so slow to address climate change and we need to push them to do more. So by missing school, we're showing how important this is to us and we're reminding people of the urgency of the climate crisis. So to me, this is just so, so important. And I will do whatever it takes to get that message heard that we need to be acting faster for the environment. Wow, I really do understand you. But do the people around you think the same way? Like, what has the response been from your family, your friends, or your teachers to you striking from school? So I've been really lucky to have really a lot of support from the people around me. My family is really all in with this. My sister is actually one of the people who's organizing these climate strikes with me, so that's really cool, and my parents are really supportive about it. Most of my friends don't come to the climate strikes with me, but they do think that I'm doing the right thing. Um, but what's really been exceptional was the response from my teachers. So at first, of course, because I have to miss their class, I thought the teachers would be reluctant to agree to let me go or, you know, think I'm not doing the right thing or try to convince me to not go. But actually, they've been really, really supportive about this. Um, and they actually encouraged me to go to these climate strikes. The first time, uh, my first teacher whose class I had to miss for a climate strike, when I told her, she was really excited and she actually suggested I do my class project on the climate strike. So that was really cool. And I think that this is because even though the teachers know I'm missing their class, they really understand this sense of urgency surrounding climate change. Um, I think they're really starting to understand that and they know that what I'm doing is necessary. Okay, Shirley. Uh, so the reason that why uh, Mahmouda and I invite you here is because like we just had a discussion about the climate change. 
as the result of the climate change is that we saw the climate change is a really serious problem as uh, as is like really harmful for like many stuffs but it is also like kind of necessary because like uh, like what we just said like you cannot um you cannot just save the environment and by not taking the plane, which is like kind of necessary for saving the time. So could you give us a little bit of explanation of like what exactly going on for like climate change? Thanks. Yeah, definitely. So um, I agree with both of you. I think that, of course, it's really hard to change our behavior uh, to stop climate change. But I think we absolutely have to do it even if it's hard. And the reason I can just give explain a bit, uh, like you said, about what's going on with climate change so that you can really understand the gravity of the issue. So what's, it's a kind of a complex topic, but to summarize greenhouse gases, such as carbon dioxide, which are emitted by humans uh, from burning uh, fossil fuels like coal and oil and gas, and from some other sources as well, are trapping heat in the atmosphere and causing the average temperature on Earth to rise. So that's what we call global warming. And then caused by global warming is climate change, which has a huge array of different effects. Um, so for example, there's more extreme weather like floods, heat waves, hurricanes. There's also more forest fires. Um, like we're already seeing, uh, for example, in the west of North America and in Australia, those huge forest fires were made a lot worse by climate change. Um, you also have sea level rise, uh, like you talked about. Oh, the, I weren't really supposed to know. You also have sea level rise, which is called caused. You also have sea level rise, which is caused by melting ice at the North and South Poles uh, that's flowing into the ocean. And that, of course, is. Um, and that, of course, could permanently flood certain islands and coastal cities. And the thing, though, that's really scary is that the global climate is such a complex, interconnected and delicate system, and we depend on it entirely. Everything in the global climate depends, and affects, depends on and affects everything else in ways that we don't even completely understand. So the concentration of certain gases in the atmosphere affects the temperature of the Earth. Wind and ocean currents, rain patterns, they're all related together. And on this delicate balance rests all of life on Earth. For a plant to grow, it must have the right conditions, the right temperature, the right amount of rain, the right type of soil, the right nutrients. For a forest to grow, each animal depends on the plants and animals around it. Each being in an ecosystem has a specific role. And if a few important plants or animals go extinct, everything can collapse. We often forget this, but we are 100% dependent on the ecosystems of Earth. Everything that we have from the food we eat to the clothes we wear, to the energy we use to power our cars and electricity comes from nature directly or indirectly. And with climate change, we're taking a gamble with all of this. We are changing the concentration of these greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, which is essentially throwing the Earth's natural systems out of balance. And it's really scary to think what could happen from that. So I think that, you know, even if it's hard to change our behavior, we absolutely have to because we can't take a gamble with our only, the only thing 
that's allowing us to live planet Earth. Wow, many chemistry and uh, biology concepts in that. <laughs> so, surely, like with all of that you just said, like could you just focus on a little bit on the politics, like especially in Canada, like what is like going on, like in the in the world, and what is going on, what the, what is the position of the polit you know, politicians in Canada. Yeah, so unfortunately, politics is moving really, really slowly on climate change. Like I said earlier, I mean, there are some good things. For example, you've all probably heard about the Paris Accord, in which there was a global agreement to limit global warming to a maximum of two degrees Celsius, and ideally to one point five degrees, which is um, what scientists determined to be the threshold that we should really stay under to give us the best shot of not messing things up too much and really surviving because climate change if it gets out of hand and if it goes to four five six degrees of warming that could actually mean the end of humanity so you know politicians around the world agreed to try and limit global warming to 1.5 degrees and each country set itself targets to reduce greenhouse gas emissions to get there but the problem is that we're really not meeting those targets Global greenhouse gas emissions are actually still going up even after the Paris Accord. That was in 2015. It's been seven years and global greenhouse gas emissions are still going up. In Canada, we have not met a single one of our past emissions reduction targets. Right now, there's a target to reduce emissions by 40 to 45 percent by 2030 compared to 2005 in Canada. And that is lower than the target that's set by the United Nations. Um, it's not compatible with limiting global warming to 1.5. And that's if we meet that target, which is definitely not certain because so far the plans we have in place aren't really enough to get there. Um, yeah, so, you know, the situation in Canada is not looking very good. The situation in the world is not looking very good. And that's what motivates me to go on these climate strikes because we need to be doing so, so much more. Mm -hmm. So, Shirley, you mentioned earlier that your organization's goal is to push for climate justice. Can you just like explain what exactly this means? Yeah, of course. So the idea behind climate justice is a way of looking at global warming, not just as an ecological problem, but also from the social aspect as a social injustice. So the reason we talk about that, this is because climate change isn't actually affecting everyone equally. The people who suffer from it the most are those who are already disadvantaged in our society and in our world. So for example, during a heat wave, most people can stay home with the air conditioning on um, and they would be fine. But if you are homeless, you're at a much greater risk of getting sick or dying from that heat wave because you have no shelter from it. Um, and those people who are the most affected often have, because of their lifestyle, contributed much less to global warming than those who are better equipped to deal with the consequences. So it's like this double injustice of if you often are in a disadvantaged position in society, you haven't really contributed to this problem, but you're going to be the most affected by it. Mm -hmm. And the same thing applies to the world as a whole. So certain countries, for example, Canada, have emitted huge amounts of greenhouse gases compared to our population and over many, many years and decades. But we're going to be much more equipped to deal with the consequences of this problem that we've created than a lot of different countries who have contributed less to the problem. 
So the idea with climate justice is to try as much as possible to set this right. So the first part of that is that countries like Canada that have polluted so much have a responsibility to reduce our emissions much faster than the rest of the world. And second, the way in which we reduce our emissions needs to take into account who will be affected the most by climate change and by the measures that we're taking to reduce emissions. So for example, supporting affordable housing and programs to get homeless people shelter is a part of climate justice because they're going to be more affected by the effects of climate change like heat waves. So that's part of it. Um, another part of it is making sure that workers in polluting industries like oil and gas that are going to have to get shut down to stop climate change aren't just left uh, to, on their own uh, jobless. We have to support them to transition to a new job that is sustainable and, uh, for example, by offering retraining programs. Very nice answer, Shirley. I think we've gone deep into our discussion of the environment today, and I think we can discuss more detail about environmental protection next time in more detail. Thanks again for the knowledge you share for us, Shirley. You're welcome, and thank you so much for inviting me. To all our listeners, if you want to learn more about my organization, you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Pour le Futur MTL, or feel free to send us an email at tlfmontreal at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening to the CISA podcast. Stay tuned for another episode. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, guys.